0: We all know water and soil are two important elements that we need in farming. So that's what we're talking about this week. The conversation I had with deffer was, I asked you
1: weighing the water, uh, a bit of to and fro and then they said God. And then when water lands on,
2: their land, it's the landowner's um, property. It all starts with the soil, that's
0: the engine of the farm, the stomach of the farm, as some people call it. That's where your production comes from. Uh, the potential to save you money as well. More on that in a moment. Also, an update on the Beat campaign with a quiz question from Nick Morris.
3: Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, I thought as a, as a change to my uh, usual format, I'd start off by. Uh, sharing a fact about sugar which might appeal to your sort of audience beyond just uh, the agricultural uh, listeners. And
0: we meet another new voice from Open Field.
4: My name's Rebecca Pearce and I look after Holderness and East Yorkshire.
0: Yes, the full report from Rebecca later. The
4: Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale.
0: Good morning. If I said something was being delivered directly to your farm for free and it was a constant resource and it could ultimately save you money if harvested properly, You'd surely be interested, wouldn't you? Well, it's already arriving on every farm, whether you want it or not, so you might as well make use of it. I'm talking, of course, about rainwater. With the environment ever more in our minds, certainly at government level, the harvesting of water has moved more sharply into focus. Michael Jordan is from JRH Water Management and has been holding meetings already with DEFRA and others to discuss the future.
1: The conversation I had with DEFRA was I asked you to in the water, uh, a bit of to and fro, and then they said God. <laughs> and then when water lands on their land, it's the landowner's um, property until it ends up in ditches and things. So my theory is, and solutions that we've designed are, you know, collect it before it goes into a ditch. You've got free water.
0: Tell us about the what we can hear just clicking in the background behind us. Uh,
1: that's our new zero energy pump. It's a 21st century take on Victorian ram pump technology. Um, so what this will do is it can pump um, in excess of 18,000 litres a day on about two foot of fall. so it's roughly for every foot of fall that goes into the pump it will pump 60 foot of head out of it Um, and it just pumps serious amounts of water I think farms have forgotten the ways of collecting and transferring and using natural water obviously farms originally grew up around natural water because they needed it there was no mains suddenly mains come in And they forgot how to use it, and we're re-educating.
0: Mr Gove is talking a lot about the environment at the moment. It's very, very important, isn't it? So, you know, the kind of things that that you're doing really fit key into what DEFRA wants to achieve.
1: Oh, exactly, and and these are the conversations we're having. Um, Water is key. Water's the lifeblood of the world. You know, as I always say, try farming for a day without water. No-one's going to be able to do it. Um, And you harvest everything else, so why not harvest water? And what kind of response are you getting from DEFRA, the Environment Agency, speaking. Uh, massively positive yeah obviously uh, very slow burning as everything does with government but um, massive interest um, massive uptake on what I'm doing uh, very intrigued about how I'm going to take things forward and actually asking advice as well which is quite
0: nice and I, I guess uh, good support from the farming world as well because you are saving the money effectively
1: yeah yeah we're, we're saving the money and we're actually increasing profits as well so you know two things that uh, farmers love so and on off the the side of that as well is the environmental and flood risk uh, prevention and all these other things that come off it so uh, yeah we're ticking a lot of boxes at the moment.
0: Michael Jordan there of JRH and an issue that uh, more and more of us realise we need to take more seriously. Soil is, of course, another important factor. Uh, we talked a fair bit about stewardship last week on the program. Peter Croots is from Soil, uh, spelt S O Y L. I met up with him at the recent Midlands Machinery Show. Well, Soil is a precision
2: crop production company, um, and we've got a range of services to help farmers target their inputs, make better use of the, uh, their uh, inputs on the farm, and help them look at detail. Um, to improve
0: their crop production. As the, as the slogan says, every hectare counts, it really does, doesn't it?
2: Yes, it does, and traditionally, um, we call it a precision um, resolution revolution, quite a hard thing to say that, and uh, generally, most people make decisions based on farms, then they look within the fields, and of course, now we're looking at a level within fields. Uh, Mania's mechanics have made the uh, fields bigger, um, they've lost the, the variation within it because uh, a big 50 hectare field was probably 10 fields at one point in time and that was because of a reason and so we're helping them go back to managing that size field with GPS hedges right. yeah. and, um, and targeting every, every part of the farm and then making decisions based on the performance and the outcomes
0: that they do from the practices they've been using. And it is ever more important to get that right, isn't it? To, get the, you know, to, to, to look after our soil, the other soil, yes. uh, it's, it's, you know, you've know, you got to get that right now.
2: Yes, it all starts with the soil. That's the engine of the farm, the stomach of the farm, as some people call got it, that's where your production comes from. And understanding how each part works uh, is vital. And not only from an output point perspective, but from an environment perspective as well. They're not wasting inputs on parts of the farm that don't want um, Inputs, um, so not wasting fertiliser, crop protection products, seed. Um, it's all about making sure that those targets are effective. And how are things at soil right now this year? Good year? Busy year? <laughs> um, we're increasingly busy. Um, the the the, uh, the demand is 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 massive from all sorts of farmers. Um, we look particularly grassland farmers are looking now in more detail um, because every penny counts, and, and we help farmers. Uh, optimise the, their spend.
0: Definitely, well, that's good. Hopes okay. for, for hopes for the new year,
2: 2018. Um, More of the I same hope- I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just that continuing. There is a data revolution going on, um, and it's going to take um, companies like ourselves to to help people understand that process. Um, technology is moving on at a fast pace. It's probably a great industrial revolution happening under underneath people right now, uh, and. 2018, 19, 20, these are going to be big years in terms of change. Um, I don't want to go into all the debates around the economics of government policy, but there's still going to be the fundamental. We have to produce food efficiently, and that's where precision farming comes
0: in. Absolutely. As I say, it is making every penny go as far as you can stretch it, really, yeah?
2: Yes, because that's vital. We're all working on tight margins,
0: and um, it's a rewarding
2: job now. There's lots of interest that you're looking at your job in more detail, and, that, and I think that... Quite a few of our customers are saying that it's making the job more interesting again now. We've gone away from big
0: scale, big acres, made easy. It's now looking at detail and saving every penny we can. That's Peter Croot from Soil, talking about soil. Well, while we're focusing on the land, let's get our weekly update from our crop doctor, Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean.
5: Yes, good morning, Sean. Another week goes by, another week closer to Christmas, and another week where we're going to have a sort of samey agronomy report, I'm afraid. Let's start with the weather because it is influencing what goes on out there in the field and it is influencing the way we approach the coming weeks because now we've had temperatures fluctuating once again, but we've got this static picture of soil temperatures dropping away. They're now in the mid fours and all although crop growth never actually stops otherwise the plants would die it's soon starting to go into stasis where it's not going to do an awful lot of anything and therefore translocated products within um, plants are almost a waste of time and a waste of money because if they're just going to sit on the outside of the leaf and the crop's not going to assimilate them or take them in then there's little point in putting them on and that's when we sort of come into this fungicide uh, conversation that's going on out there at the moment, do we put a fungicide in or don't we on oilseed rate while we're going through with propizomide? Well the answer to that question is quite simple. If you can see on a weekly basis that the disease levels are increasing it is very clear that the plant is still growing, that it's still moving fluids around itself and therefore if thresholds are reached of light leaf spot or foma then put a fungicide in with the propizomide. As we said last week the conditions of application become critical then because you can go on with propizomide on a frost or onto a damp leaf, although you never put it on onto waterlogged sites Um, but if you've got a wet leaf or a frosty leaf, then you can't put in the fungicide, so you have to weigh up which one is the most important and my gut at the moment is telling me that the propizomide is the most important thing, because you need to get that on as early as you can once conditions become favourable, and that is soil temperatures down below 8 degrees and falling, and plenty of soil moisture well you've got that now, so I would prioritise the propizomide and make a note of the varieties the susceptibility to disease and disease levels Um, and make a note of which ones you didn't treat in with the propizomide and treat those early doors in the spring and remember with light leaf spot you are only getting three weeks protection from even the best triazole and that means if you're putting it onto a crop that's not assimilating and it's not moving nutrients or moving fungicide around itself that's a waste of fungicide Um, because the light leaf spot is not going to move until it gets conditions favourable to making it move that's why when you put the leaves in a polythene bag and pop them in the airing cupboard they will present the symptoms to you they won't do that in the field therefore you've got some time don't dismiss also the effects that a bit of additional boron can make on farms with susceptibilities to boron deficiency Um, boron's like a tonic on oilseed rape and there are some very good forms which do mix there are some which don't mix very readily but just speak to your agronomist and make sure it's not going to set like polyfiller in the sprayer by just chucking it in, choose the right one for the job. Uh, Bugs and grubs don't seem to be very prevalent at the moment in oilseed rape. Rape winter stem weevil at the moment, clearly, um, may be an issue. Personally, I haven't found any. And if you've got uh, cabbage stem flea beetle larvae within the stem of these plants, you are wasting your time and money by putting a pyrethroid on to control them, because you won't. If you want to remove them from the field, put the sheep on it, let them graze it off and physically take them off the field. But an insecticide will do very little good against uh, larvae which are already in the stem because they're pretty much protected. Winter wheat, winter barley, as we said last week, the cold snap has stopped the mildew dead in its tracks. There is still rust out there. I'm picking it up in several varieties, molten. Um, in particular I'm seeing quite a bit of it Um, but as we said last week now is the time, the black grass which is there in the fields, if you can pick a day where the leaf is dry and it stays dry for a couple of hours after you put it on, there's nothing to stop you putting Atlantis for example or one of its derivatives onto the field now, remember you can't put Pacifica on until the 1st of February, um, but you can put Atlantis on and if you can mix that with your 0.3 of a Liberator top up if you've already put Liberator on at 0.6 over 6 weeks ago and it was pre-em of the crop then you can top it with another 0.3 and those two things will mix in the tank but I can't stress it enough really if you're going to spend that sort of money on a product which is a bit variable at best for goodness sake put it on in the right conditions at the right time and don't push it you've got plenty of time and it's not going to get that much worse over the next uh, couple of months Um, so much so that you can bide your time and pick your day the conditions on the day are far more important than what follows Um, the application but make sure it gets at least two hours to dry on Uh, and apart from that we're seeing a lot of field fairs and a lot of the migrant birds somebody told me they saw a waxwing in South Lincolnshire this week so uh, it's all a bit samey I'm afraid Uh, but soon be Christmas and then we can move into another year of problems pests bugs grubs weeds and
0: moaning moaning Surely not. (laughs) Thank you, Sean. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. He teased us earlier that he'd have a sugar fact for us, so uh, let's welcome Nick Morris from British Sugar back with the latest on the campaign. Nick, uh, you've got the results of a recent survey, I believe.
3: Yeah, that's right. Earlier this year, we commissioned a survey undertaken by 2,000 British adults representative of our great British population And uh, really the purpose was just to gain a a greater insight into people's understanding of sugar. Uh, So we clearly asked quite a a number of questions. However, the one I wanted to uh, share with you and your listeners today is uh, the question, which was, is sugar grown in the UK? And what do you think the response was? Well, I think, I'd like to think people would
0: know it's grown in the UK, particularly people who listen to this programme because we have you on every week. But um, I have a feeling people still think of sugar cane and think that that is grown overseas.
3: Yeah, I think that's uh, quite a fair assumption. So what we learned from our survey is, uh, in fact, six out of ten British adults do not know that sugar is grown in the UK. Uh, So uh, we have much to do to tell the story of the homegrown sugar industry. So I thought, what better place than to to start here? And uh, clearly it would be important for me to say that if people would like to support the British sugar industry and the 9,500 people that work within it, our retail brand is, of course, Silverspoon, obviously carrying the Red Tractor logo. So hopefully you'll be able to see that in your popular stores that you shop in.
0: Yeah, I know we mentioned it earlier in the year, didn't we, when um, a popular supermarket stopped... That's Uh, right, and and you know their factory certainly in Barry St Edmunds is the other side of the road from uh, said supermarket on the same roundabout. I've driven past it a number of times, Um, so that message has got to get across in the stores as well, really, hasn't it?
3: Yeah, it has. It has. We also asked uh, um, uh, a question in that same survey round um, if uh, uh, you were prepared to support the homegrown uh, British brand uh, and. would you be prepared to pay a slight supplement if required for that? And and the majority said that they would. But uh, as as always, the uh, uh, the voice really is in the is in the consumer, and that message has got to get across to um, uh, to the retailer. Mm.
0: Well, that sugar beet is being grown locally, and is being grown in the UK for silver spoon so um what, what's happening with the campaign
3: right so we're now 87 days uh into campaign um so we're approaching halfway through the season and my last report was actually three weeks ago when i said uh someone must be looking over us at the moment with regards to the weather and please say that that uh, does seem to be continuing since uh that report though three weeks ago we have had some cooler temperatures which has um uh, returned this weekend, and I even noticed on Twitter, uh, Sean Sparling managed to capture a lovely picture of some sugar beet uh, in a heap with a dusting of snow on it a couple of weeks ago, but thankfully that uh, that didn't amount to anything to speak of really. Uh, and looking at the forecast, there doesn't appear to be anything of, of, of any real concern on the horizon at the moment, but as always, uh, we'll uh, continue a watching brief on that and, um, and see how that progresses. So, Lifting conditions, they remain very good. Uh, dirt test still very low at uh, just 5%. Uh, and factory throughput, that's now averaging uh, 9,600 tonnes a day, which is up 100 tonnes since my last report and in line with our budget uh, performance target. Beet supply remains uh, plentiful, or really plentiful in, in many cases, and we are starting to build quite a large roadside stock in front of lorry uh, movements, which is it's not unusual for this time of year, but again, in terms of uh, uh, communication, it's just, just really important between harvesting, contractor, grower and haulier, just to make sure everybody, everybody has their expectations managed. So uh, <clears throat> three weeks ago, I reported that sugar content had continued to build and looked to have plateaued at 17.8%. Well, I was wrong. It has actually continued to climb uh, and averaged 18.2% last week and may even increase on that again this week. So uh, this really is quite unusual uh, for this time of year as traditionally it would peak at the beginning to middle of November and I think really it's just a testament to uh, the potential of this crop as it continues to mature over a much longer period of time. So... Uh, The average sugar content, in fact, for the campaign to date is now 17.6%, which is up by 0.2% since I uh, last spoke three weeks ago. We've now got 131 contracts uh, that have finished their campaign, and they're averaging 70 tonnes a hectare, which, again, we will see that increase now as the campaign progresses. Um, Nothing uh, uh, too significant to uh, mention or talk about of the crop itself other than to maintain vigilance for root rots as that sort of is appearing to become a bit more obvious in crops now uh, and as, as the uh, deliveries progress and um, deterioration starts to take uh, take hold in some of those crops but thankfully they are very much the minority but it's just a watching brief again and that's all from me all right thank you Nick thanks Sean back
0: before the year is out Nick Morris from British Sugar on to our weekly update from Open Field, then. And last week I introduced you to Kit. Well, this week, as we heard at the start of the programme, I have another new voice for you, Rebecca Pierce. She manages Holdness and East Yorkshire. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you. Good to have you on board. What's the latest?
4: Well, there's been little to cause the UK wheat market to push upwards this week, I'm afraid to say. We've had fresh news from Vivergo, the bioethanol plant based in Hull that it's being closed for the foreseeable future which takes a major consumer of wheat out of the market and takes the pressure off other local consumers to chase this market upwards. Saying that there has been a demand for wheat over the Christmas period which has supported prices at the farm gate for those closer to the feed mills. Get in touch with your Openfield Farm Business Manager for exact values local to you. Despite news from the latest AHDB quality survey that only 24% of Group 1 varieties this year have made full-spec bread-making wheat versus 45% of those same varieties last harvest, milling wheat premiums for Group 1s remain trading around £10 a tonne over feed. Looking ahead to harvest next year and new crop wheat prices have dropped this past week as we've heard news that globally the wheat supply continues to grow and has the potential to be carried into next season. The latest from analyst Stats Canada has estimated that Canadian wheat production for harvest 2017 could be up by near 2 million tonnes. The UK feed barley market is relatively unchanged on the week with stronger prices north of the Humber due to more demand or for those close to ports with export activity. The oilseed rape market has dropped off this week on news of a firmer pound and a better-than-expected harvest in Australia so far. Last year, the EU imported just shy of 3 million tonnes of Australian canola, or oilseed rape as we call it here. And whilst the Australian harvest will be far from the record numbers they saw last year, news of a better-than-expected harvest may be negative for values at the farm gate. We have three major crushers of oilseed rape in the UK, based at Liverpool, Erith and Hull, and prices are very much dependent on how close you are for haulage. The activity on the spring bean market is relatively quiet. Currently there is little interest for spring beans. A small number of early shipments have since departed to Egypt, yet they are not currently looking to purchase any more. And whilst we have seen demand from containerised beans based to Sudan, the Sudanese implement a trade restriction between January and July, meaning after Christmas, the UK spring bean market will rely on the Egyptians, who can take any origin beans, providing the UK with stiff pricing competition. The premiums will be subject to quality, with those with a lower percentage stained and free from insect damage gaining the higher prices. The good news is that there is still a market for winter beans and there is active buying interest. So please get in touch with your Openfield Farm Business Manager to discuss your samples. Let's have a look at prices now and December 17 feed wheat is currently trading around £137 to £142 pounds a ton ex the farm with little carry into the spring. May 18 trading around £141 to £145 pounds a ton. Your premium for group ones over feed is around £10 pounds a ton. New crop wheat for November 18 is tr- currently trading around £137 to £140 pounds a ton. The feed buy market remains around £124 to £128 a tonne, ex-farm for the new year, January 18, with a pound a tonne carry through to spring. Spring molting barley premiums are in the region of £30 a tonne, but there can be more attractive premiums for the right variety with the right nitrogen spec. Winter molting barley premiums remain below springs at around £15 a tonne. Oilseed rate values in the spot market for December 17 are trading around £303 to £306 a ton, with a carry through until May at £308 to £311 a ton. Looking ahead to new crop oilseed rate prices, they're trading around £290 a ton at harvest, with a £7 a ton carry for November 18, dependent on your location. Feed beans are currently trading around £145 to £148 pound a tonne, dependent on area, although domestic feed bean homes are limited, with premiums for the better spring bean samples between £25 pounds and £30 pounds a tonne.
0: Rebecca Pearce there from Open Field, And uh, I'm not saying that Kit and Rebecca are being thrown in at the deep end, But both will be appearing, along with Chris Spratt, in our farming programme Pantomime, which will be here on this programme on Christmas Eve. So uh, two weeks' time, if you're counting down the days. Well, it's certainly beginning to feel a lot like Christmas, weather-wise, isn't it? Let's uh, have a look at the week ahead. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, last week on the programme, uh, you might remember we mentioned that uh, by the time the next programme came around, in other words, this one, uh, we might see some snow and it could be heavy. I don't want to say I told you so, but, um, well, you know, further snow to come today. Might turn to rain in uh, some parts. Cold, three the high, the wind from the north-northeast, 15 gusting at 30 miles an hour. Further wintry showers overnight tonight, misty as well. Temperatures down to around minus two Celsius first thing tomorrow morning, so a sharp frost for your Monday. Uh, the wind from the north-northwest, 10 gusting at 20. Sunny spells through Monday itself, but temperatures really not getting above freezing point. Uh, The wind from the northwest still, 10 to 15 miles an hour. Then clear skies overnight, Monday into Tuesday. That means temperatures again down to around minus 3 Celsius. Though it will warm up first thing on Tuesday morning. Still around freezing point though. The wind more from the west, 10, gusting at 25 miles an hour sunny spells again for tuesday we're looking at highs of around two degrees the wind from the west 10 gusting at 20 miles an hour and then a band of heavy rain might well be more wintry in flavor we'll see as uh, we get nearer to uh, wednesday morning could be quite heavy rain though and foggy to start wednesday lows generally between one and three degrees the wind more from the south actually 15 gusting at 35 miles an hour For Wednesday, the possibility of a few more showers. Five, the high, so warming up a little bit. The wind from the west, 15, gusting at 30 miles an hour. And then the latter end of the week, well, again, the possibility of a few more wintry showers, but it should be mostly dry. Temperatures just above freezing. We're looking at two, three, maybe four Celsius if we're lucky. Overnight lows generally around two degrees. And the wind blowing more from the north-northwest. So that's the forecast. We're uh, talking nutrition next week. On your crops, not what I'm having for breakfast. Uh, We'll be with the team at Bionature Agriculture. I'm off now to um, have a snowball fight. Fancy it? Well, we'll make a snowman or two anyway. (laughs) Until next week, have a good week's farming.